Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. day. We are going through the New Testament in the order in which the books were written, allowing ourselves a little bit of leeway here in two different ways. One is the more obvious one, and that is a lot of these books were written about the same time, and some of them, it's in dispute whether it was this year or that year. So we're, we're allowing ourselves some leeway there. But the second thing is that we're also leaving out the Gospels because I've done a lot of that in sermons uh, and a lot of that online, but it has been a while. So we're we're gonna find a way to bring them in and do them as a unit. But boy, that's gonna take a while because once I get in the Gospels, I get excited and it's really, really hard to get me out of them. So we're gonna go to the book of Hebrews. What? We just did 1 Peter. Couldn't we do 2 Peter and Jude? Yeah, we could because they were written pretty much the same time as First Peter, not that much of a gap at all. And Hebrews is in that, that little bubble, as well as a couple of other books. But we're gonna go with Hebrews because I would like there to be a separation between First Peter and Second Peter because they are very, very different books. And we'll talk more about that when we get to Second Peter. And Second Peter and Jude have to be looked at pretty much at the same time. Either they were looking over each shoulders and cribbing notes or they had visited and discussed some things because there's a lot of commonality there. But about the book of Hebrews, one of the first things we have to start with is, who wrote this? Most people will just by instinct say, Paul, that really was in dispute early on in the Christian church. The, uh, The book of Hebrews was very widely accepted, but who wrote it? Well, there were varying opinions. And some did say Paul. I don't think it can be Paul. And I'll tell you why in a bit. But as early as the fourth century, that's the 300s kids, their church leaders were saying this wasn't written by Paul. And there are a lot of reasons for that. So how how do we do this? By the way, Luther didn't think it was written by Paul. John Calvin didn't think it was written by Paul. This is not a new modernistic way to, you know, attack scripture or anything. No, Paul almost always, what do do we know about Paul? He starts a book, I, Paul, apostle of God, and to you. And then near the end, he does personal sign-offs to people and there are asides and such, and very often then says, such and such is the one writing this down, or here's my signature with my own hand. None of that's here. And that's a startling enough difference for us to pull back right there. But also, there are 150 words used in Hebrews that are not used in the rest of the New Testament. They're not really part of Paul's vocabulary. A huge theme in Hebrews is that Jesus is a priest. Paul never refers to Peter, uh, to Jesus as a priest. There's, uh, by the way, Hebrews also has 10 words which are not found in any other ancient Greek manuscript. So they have to be defined by their context 
and by figuring them out, and linguists do an excellent job at that. Well done, men and women of the linguistic community. So, who could have written this? Um, well, it's a very, there's a style to it, which is called Greek rhetorical. And the base, the hub of that was in Alexandria. So we look for people who have a connection with Alexandria or who would, and or, would be very well-versed in Greek rhetoric. And my, we get quite the list. Uh, Apollos is a prime contender. We also uh, look at Clement, very on, uh, very early on, was thought of to be the author, and people still fight for all of the names I want to give you. Uh, Barnabas is one of the, the more popular of, of the contenders. We also have Timothy. That's kind of a modern thing. In the last, I wouldn't even know how to tell you, a decade, two decades, people have been looking at Timothy. Um, maybe, maybe, I'm, I will confess that I'm not the man to judge. Uh, I read their arguments and I'm impressed by the amount of work people put into this. But there's no way I could then say, and the winner of you is. No, that's, this is outside my field. My favorite though, and I'm allowed to have favorites, aren't I? My favorite contender would be Priscilla. Uh, there have been many who have pushed for Priscilla. The only real downside on Priscilla is that there's one passage in Hebrews, we'll get to it, where the author refers to himself and uses male pronouns and verb tenses. So to many people that would immediately rule her out. I don't, it doesn't to me, because a woman writing a book in this age would very often, um, or reasonably, I don't know how often, very reasonably adjust the pronouns so that it would be more available to a male audience, which means a wider uh, audience. Think of uh, George Eliot, who wrote some amazing um, books, novels that are still classics today. It was a woman, but she knew that her books could not be published if it was written by a woman, so she used the name of a man. There are, and that was, you know, what, 1800 years after this. So what, why do people always say Paul? I think it's just because he wrote so much, but there is another reason, and that is the King James Version. In the 1600s, whenever the King James Version came out, uh, they added notes and titles because please remember, books of the Bible did not come with titles. Some of them are named um, more modernly, but others are named from the first phrase. For example, Genesis in the beginning. Well, Genesis means beginning, so that's put up there. And Exodus in the, in the days of the going out, Exodus in Numbers, you get the point. But they don't, they don't write that up there. They don't put that as this book is named. So when it comes to Hebrews, it really is a book that addresses people who know the Old Testament and who love the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and talks to them about Jesus. And that's why it really is my favorite book. I'm gonna, in the New Testament, I would have to, um, if I was going to a desert island, I would beg for a second one, and that would be the book of John. But Hebrews, man, what a rich book. But in the King James, got to go back. I got off track there, didn't I? Uh, in the King James, it put 
the letter to the he uh, the letter to the Hebrews by the Apostle Paul. And so after that, people said Paul. Those who believe the King James Version is uniquely inspired and perfect above all others have not really studied it. It's a great version. It's gotten millions upon millions of people to Jesus. So I'm not going to knock it, but it's not in our language. It's not in English. That's not English anymore. Uh, in English has moved on. This is why our movies don't sound like Shakespearean plays. Uh, movies have moved on, language has moved on. Let's go, let's move on, shall we? Whoever wrote it, it was widely accepted early, and I can see why. It elevates Christ in such a beautiful, no-nonsense, I will broke no arguments way that I love this book because I think everything we do should elevate Jesus as the Christ. And, not elevate us, our doctrines, our names on our buildings, or our, our purchase of real estate, but the Christ. So, ready? I'm ready. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Like, I'm hooked. Amen. There's a great opening line for you, isn't it? I like, let's just take it apart a little bit. There's not much we need to do here. Uh, we're, we're not going for a degree, a master's degree in divinity or anything like that. So God spoke to us in a variety of ways before, he says. That's very true. You have kind of drive-by prophets like Obadiah and Haggai that they just kind of show up, deliver the prophecy, and they're gone. And then you have these really odd visionary ones like Ezekiel and Zechariah uh, that, I, I'm sorry, they're just very odd books. And I'm aware, by the way, that there's a small cadre on Twitter that every time you say, Ezekiel's difficult, I'm not really sure I get it. Well, just how dare you? They All of these riches and settle down. You in the third row, just settle down. We all know that these books are very valuable. That's why they were collected. People protected them. They translated them. They died so that we could have them. We all agree. But Ezekiel's difficult, and so is Zechariah, because it's all visionary, and it's all sorts of weird things. And in fact, Ezekiel preaches a sermon using human waste. Um, he cuts a hole in his house and goes in and out of it, dragging different things with him as a lesson. He preaches a sermon like Picasso paints a girl. But you know, there are some people that don't get Renoir and don't get Da Vinci and don't get, but they see a Picasso and they get it. And so God spoke that way too. And he spoke through the harshness of Ezra and through the love and warmth of Amos and through the startling story uh, of, um, of, of Gomer and Hosea. And I like to put her first. He spoke to us through through fire and lightning from Mount Sinai, you know, all of these different ways. What you cannot condemn God for at all. You can't blame God for not trying because he tried everything. He approached us in a wide variety of ways. Several times so close that people said, back up, back up, back up. So he backed up and then they would say, if he loved us, he wouldn't be so far away. Humankind has never been happy with God and they've always wished he would have done things different. But if you read through the Hebrew scriptures, he did. He did all the differences. 
and then says, now, if you want to know about God, all of these have collapsed into one option, Jesus. Now, for you science guys out there, and I know you're listening because uh, you're friends of mine and you communicate. Think of Schrodinger's cat. Don't, don't, don't panic, people. We're not going to go into the physics of it. People who don't know the physics of it believe that Schrodinger's cat, the idea was that in the box, you close, there's a cat in the box, and that the cat was both alive and dead. That's not true. That's not what the thing was. It was that the possibilities are twofold. One, the cat is alive. One, the cat is dead. Well, uh, if you have a open it up, guess what happens? Your two possibilities collapse into one. And that is the cat is alive or dead. You see it. Well, all of these different prophecies and all of these different ways and all of these different methods collapse now into one, Jesus. Jesus the Christ. Now, I'm gonna take care of a couple of things that are popping up around me right now, but still gonna talk about this, all right? If you continue, it says, through whom he also made the universe. Well, does that sound familiar? It does to me. The book of John, already noted. Um, it is, um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was with God, was God. It's, um, it, Jesus made the universe. Jesus was there at the first of the universe. I'm going to put this down, yes, and there we go. Got to do that. You see, when your church is worldwide, it's all, half, of, half of your church is always awake, and sometimes they really need something right then. So I try to respond during the class. Is that all right? Okay. Hey, you were looking at your phone. All right. Jesus made all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is, in the book of Hebrews, all things. The elevation of Christ begins. Verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I want to suggest to you that is, this is the best news that you're going to hear all year. It is. What is your image of God? I can tell you from a psychological perspective, people's image of God is often matched. Uh, it's, it's, it's tied to their view of parents and especially the dominant parent. And their view of God is, um, you know, for me, that would be my father. And you hear the voice and you feel the displeasure and you try to win the, the smile or the, uh, the kudo or the compliment or God is distant, or God is angry, God is abusive. And we cannot play around with this. We have to admit that there are many, many, many who have been abused by church leaders, and that has messed up their God concept. So how can we adjust? My God concept was one of very anger. I, I was um, uh, of an angry God. I went to be baptized when I was 11. I'd been wanting to be baptized since I was eight but I was pushing to be baptized because I was terrified I was going to hell. And then when my dad told me finally on a Sunday morning that he would let me be baptized that night, 
I was afraid to go out and play because I thought, what if I'm up on the fence and I fall off and I break my neck and then I'm lost forever? That was my God concept. You had to get it all right and you had to get it all right in exactly the right way to be saved. And then Jesus comes. Have you met him? And I'm, I'm not talking about what you meet in a sermon or what you met in a Bible class. Have you read the Gospels over and over and over and over? Do that for six months or a year. Immerse yourself in the Gospels and you will be able to hear the voice of Jesus and understand the voice of Jesus and know when what's coming from the sermon or the Bible class teacher isn't from Jesus, but is coming from them or from some other section of scripture that doesn't sound like Jesus. The Bible says God looks like Jesus. Jesus is what God looks like, what God sounds like, what God acts like. I don't think we've ever really grasped the firm wonder of the angels appearing to the shepherds that night and their opening line is, it's all good, guys. Peace on earth. Heaven has goodwill toward men. Heaven's not arriving here to judge and beat and to sort and to, uh, you know, to run around with Armageddon and kill people. No, Jesus is coming and that's the best possible news because Jesus is what God looks like and he's coming to us gently with love, with healing, with words of peace, that is who God is. It'll absolutely flip your God concept around, rearrange it, and put it where it needs to be. Please stick, stick with us in Hebrews. You need this. I need this. Whenever I hear ministers on the left and right, because both of them, the left can get really judgy and the right can get really judgy. And on Twitter, they fight each other in ways that are inappropriate. Because we follow the one who walked into a world that was a complete and utter mess and said, it's okay. I gotcha. Wow. That's different. It's very different from the sermons I heard people yelling and screaming and waving their finger at the audience. And I heard a lot of those. But the sun is the exact radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The word of Jesus is Jesus. In the beginning was the word. He is bound to that message. That message doesn't go away. Then he says this, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited to theirs. So Jesus is above the angels. This was a live question in the Jewish community. Uh, and this is the Jewish Christian community at the time. I, by the way, don't ever look down on people having live questions. Questions are really, really good. And so it just means they're searching. And by the way, doubt's okay too. You're allowed to doubt as long as you keep working 
to find out whether your doubt is justified or not. So he's saying he's made above the angels, and then he proves it by going to the Hebrew scriptures. For which, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Psalm two and verse seven. So you are my son, today I have become your father, or I will be his father, he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire, but about the sun, he says. In other words, yeah, the angels are impressive. Absolutely, fire, you know, all of that. But about the sun, he says, your throne, watch this. This is in verse eight, are you ready? But about the sun, God says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. God the Father calls Jesus God. Without giving up the title, he says, God, your God has set you here, O God. So any question about Jesus being exactly at the same level as the Father is completely wiped out, and we're not even halfway through this first chapter. By the way, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. I think I see six different Old Testament references here, uh, out of mainly Isaiah and Psalms, but actually also out of Chronicles and Samuel, so, and Deuteronomy. Forget what I said. It's everywhere. This whoever wrote this, and Priscilla was an excellent teacher. We know that. So was Barnabas. So was Apollos, um, and Priscilla taught Apollos. They knew their Old Testament. Now, if you're wondering why they don't say it's in Psalm two, verse seven, they did not divide the Bible into chapters and verses until many years later, over a thousand years later. He also says, God also says, in the beginning, O Lord. So God also calls Jesus Lord. You laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Repeatedly in the New Testament, we are told it was Jesus who actually did creation. You know, God had the plan, gave the directive, Jesus accomplished the plan, and the Holy Spirit gave the power for the plan. That is way too simplistic, but it's a starting place for you to help see them as you go through. They, the heavens, the work of your hands, will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your ear, years will never end. And then the writer of Hebrews breaks in and says, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalm 110, verse one. Again, what is he doing? He is helping the people that he's addressing, which is the believing community and those on the fence, those willing to read, that are, in, that are Jews. And they, you know, which direction do we go now? He's addressing them by using their scriptures to show where Jesus is 
in the panoply of God. And then he says, the writer, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? In other words, angels are servants, Jesus is king. Now we know that he came down here and lived among us as a minister, as a, as a, as a servant, and he brought that up. And he told us to live the same way, even though we are a royal priesthood, according to Peter. Well, we have a few more minutes that we're going to, um, we're going to give in this opening midweek Bible class. Our time's limited today, not by you, uh, but because we have a schedule here that uh, other things are going to be walking into the office, all right? And I, I don't want you to be too terribly distracted. Chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. I have one grandson. I don't have to do it anymore. But for a good two years, as he would be wandering about, his brain, super intelligent, um, good sense of humor, but he couldn't focus. <laughs> and I would just say, focus, focus, as we were walking through a crowd, focus, as we're doing it, focus, now he focuses. And I don't think it was because of me. I think it was, you know, I think I helped him through that phase, but I think God built him to be able to focus on his own. But we need to focus because the world is just, I mean, how many times have you clicked on a YouTube video and the commercial is going to be a minute and a half and you're going, eh, okay, I'm away. How many movies have you not really enjoyed that much watching at home because of your phone and your, your, your attention is just going everywhere? We need to focus so that we don't wander. Remember who the center of the universe is. We play a part in the universe, but we, the universe is not about us. We play a part of the story, but the story is not our story and it's not about us. We just move the narrative and hand it off to other people. Hang in there, verse two, four, here's the warning. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? You see, once again, remember Schrodinger's cat, when she opened the box, all possibilities were collapsed to one. You know, whatever the cat is, alive or dead, that's the only thing you've got now. You had many possibilities before. Think of it this way, this might be easier. Let's say you bought a lottery ticket because you saw it was running up into the hundreds of millions. We're not going to talk about whether you should or not. You bought it. Now the drawing's not for another five days. What is that ticket? We all know it's probably a waste of money. And we all know the pluses and minuses there. That's not it. What that ticket is, is possibility. You know, would you give some money to uh, St. Jude's Hospital? Would you give some money to rescue refugees out of a particular country? Would you uh, set things up? Where would you move your family? What car would you get? All of those things are possible. And then when the drawing comes, none of them are possible. It, it all collapses. Well, Hebrews is telling us everything has collapsed now. There aren't other options. There is Jesus. How do you think you're going to escape if you turn your back on Jesus? How do you think you're gonna escape if you won't go through the one door. The one who in John 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You know, let's say you're in a shop 
and the fire alarm bell goes off. Maybe there's smoke about. So unlike all the others you've been in in your life, most likely this one may be real. So you're wondering, where do I go? And the guard's going, you need to go through this door. Do you stop and look at him and go, oh, look at you, Mr. Arrogant, I have the only answer. I don't think so. My brother-in-law was a fireman in the Houston area for a long time before injuries and illness um, made him retire. And I've used the illustration before that if my wife and I were in Texas and then here comes this, um, this fire and all of a sudden we're down on the ground trying to find air to breathe as smoke is boiling through and we see Alan crawling through and he looks at us and he goes, if you wanna live, almost like the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, if you wanna live, you have to follow me. We're not gonna look at him and going, well, who made you in charge of our life? Who made, who are you, mister? I know the only way. Because sometimes there is just one way. Sometimes in life, there is just one way. You have no other options. We know the story, true story of the man that was hiking in the American Southwest fell and his arm was caught between two rocks and he could not free it. After days, he realized that his, his arm was going gangrenous, it was dying, and that he was dying with no food or water. And with a terrific and horrific act of will, he used a pocket knife and cut off his own arm. He had one way out and he took it. Isn't it good that for us, our one way out is Jesus, the God who loves us, the God who shows up and says, I've got you, just come with me. The God who says, I'm, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, I'm not gonna throw all this on you. And lives up to that and tells us, follow him. Well, why don't we pick it up again next week? Very short lesson today, but we try to keep them around 30 minutes now. So God bless you. If you have questions, write me, patrick at rcfharbor.com. God bless. I can't wait to keep going on this. Cheers.